It's as if the landscape of our culture has changed overnight. As a young youth worker, I had never even heard the word transgender. Now the issue of transgenderism has moved front and center in our culture, our schools, our churches, our youth groups, and in many of our homes. It's safe to say that this new gender landscape is one that we must understand, respond to, and navigate. How can parents, youth workers, grandparents, and pastors understand, respond to, and navigate transgenderism? What names do we use when addressing transgendered kids? And how do we handle the complex web of logistical issues, including bathrooms and sleeping arrangements? We'll start the difficult process of tackling these questions and more on this episode of Youth Culture Matters. From the Center for Parent Youth Understanding, this is Youth Culture Matters. If you're a parent, youth worker, educator, counselor, grandparent, or anyone else who cares about kids, we're glad you've joined us for this practical, informative, and hope-filled podcast. This is a place where together we talk and think Christianly about the rapidly changing world of today's children, teens, and young adults. Hey, welcome everybody to this episode of Youth Culture Matters. I'm Walt Mueller, and once again with Jason Soshinik. Jason is joining us from Spokane, Washington, where he runs... As always. Uh, uh, well, he's working with us here at CPYU on our Sexual Integrity Initiative, and then Jason runs a ministry out there called uh, Project 619, and they're working to equip students and families and youth workers to understand issues related to biblical sexuality. And that's what we're going to talk about today, Jason. We're going to we're going to uh, jump into a conversation here with a couple of our friends in just a few minutes. Uh, but we thought we'd bypass all of the normal banter in the beginning and devote the time not to a wide ranging group of issues related to youth culture, but specifically to some issues that are there are hot buttons now. I don't know. Do you remember? I think it was probably what four or five years ago. You and I went down to uh, Washington, D.C. and met with our friend Steve Garber. Steve's an author, runs the Washington Institute. And you and I had been chatting back and forth about our sexual integrity initiative and just trying to find some wisdom from some people who could speak into this, help us frame our conversations. And we went down to meet Steve, who's uh, a sage of sorts, and we just said, hey, Steve, can you guide us on this? Do you remember what he said to us as we started the conversation i i just i can't forget the way yeah. that he responded to us about this issue well if anyone knows that's that's listening uh steve he just has this way of sharing information that just draws you in and well i remember one of the things that that uh, he had talked about specifically was that this is this is one of the most complicated complex volatile difficult uh but also has the potential to be the uh, a conversation filled with compassion uh, more than any other, uh, this issue that we'll be discussing today. And I I just remember remember walking through each of those and how he even does it in his class and some of the classes that he teaches for the first couple of weeks. Yeah. And I remember him using the words uh, tender and sensitive as well. Yeah. And that has stuck with me because... This issue has unfolded, and what we're talking about in terms of an issue here is the the bigger picture of sexuality, sexual brokenness, the changes that are taking place in our culture, 
uh, the way terminology is changing and <laughs> new words are being added, it seems, every day to describe options for people in terms of how they live out their sexuality and their gender. And I, I, this thing, you know, as someone who watches culture, this thing has just snowballed and hit me to the point where just when you feel like you're getting up and, you know, like dusting yourself off, say, okay, I'm starting to understand it, something new comes in. So we, when mm-hmm. we were talking to Steve, it was primarily about same-sex attraction. And now we're talking about issues of transgenderism, which I don't even think we used that terminology or discussed that when we were with Steve, did we? Or it, it was a it was a passing uh, it was a passing term. We did discuss LGBT, which the T is transgender, right. and and we did discuss it, but it wasn't on our radar like it is today. Yeah, this was this was a year or two before many of the conversations around bathrooms and and some of the other uh, dialogue that's happened with transgenderism um, has has surfaced. And I think that analogy is exactly. <laughs> the way I, I feel. I mean, that's a great way of, of painting this picture, Walt, because it does. It seems that just as you're starting to get back up, you get knocked back down uh, with some sort of new information, new new thing that's entering into the news. And as, a, as someone that's devoted to uh, trying to take what we see in Scripture and share it with others, it can be a difficult process in this rapidly changing culture. Yeah. I, you know, in our youth ministry world, I feel like what I'm seeing is that opinions are being formed very quickly. There are dividing lines that appear almost as fast as those opinions or almost as fast as the new terminology comes in. And I'm, I'm just going to tell you, because the conversation we're going to have today is, uh, is with some folks who have helped me sort this out. My approach has been to really work to take it slowly, to be thoughtful, to be prayerful, um, to navigate the feelings I have, the emotions I have, the opinions I have very carefully under the light and authority of God's Word. And I think ultimately, you know, I don't want to get this wrong uh, because I want to be ultimately obedient to God and His Word, not so much, the, or not at all, the spirit of the time. So I think this issue, as we talk about sexuality and especially the gender issues, requires some very careful and deliberate navigation that's theologically informed. And this is where our friends at Harvest USA come into the picture for us and have been very helpful to me. If you're not familiar with Harvest USA, uh, you can find out more about them at harvestusa.org. They have a website that is growing exponentially in response to this issue that's uh, morphing exponentially. Harvest, their mission is to bring the truth and mercy of Jesus Christ. I like that, the balance between grace and truth, by helping individuals and families affected by sexual struggles and by providing resources that address biblical sexuality to individuals and churches. Their purpose is to partner with and equip the church in bringing the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ to transform the lives of those affected by sexual sin. I know they have a long history and we're really happy today that uh, two of their staff folks who lead initiatives, Ellen Dykus is here as well as Dan Wilson. So Ellen and Dan, thanks for joining us. It's an honor. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, it really is. We appreciate our partnership with your ministry, just like you have been so encouraging to us. Ellen, tell us first, tell us first a little bit about what you do at Harvest, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, your area of expertise, what you focus on, and then we'll go to Dan to hear the same. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I serve as the women's ministry coordinator for our organization. Um, so in light of that, I, I oversee all of our targeted discipleship to women, whether if those are women coming in with their own struggles with sexuality or gender issues or wives of husbands who are wrestling in one of these ways. And so through one-on-one -on -one biblical support groups here in our office, and then I participate in our teaching team as well. As you mentioned um, right there, that is a part of our mission is to equip the body of Christ to do what we're doing. That's great. Dan, tell us about what you're doing there at Harvest with uh, Student Outreach. Sure. Well, the Student Outreach started about three years ago. I had been with Harvest nine years before that doing general uh, harvest work with mainly with men and with couples. Uh, so the transition into the Student Outreach was a new initiative for Harvest USA uh, to work with parents and youth workers, uh, campus workers, um, schools, Christian colleges, so to equip those folks to who are directly in relationship with kids and students to disciple them to live sexually faithful lives by finding their life and their true identity in Christ. And uh, so what I do, I, I, we don't do a lot of direct ministry to students, but we do a lot of educational seminars, uh, we write a blog. Um, we are writing curriculum as uh, as we speak for uh, youth workers right now, and uh, we actually have our own uh, spinoff website. You've, you talked about HarvestUSA.org. Ours is thestudentoutreach.org, and uh, just last week uh, I put up a blog called Transgenderism Talking to Your Kids, so it's written for parents who are having to discuss uh, the transgender issue with kids not presenting transgender issues, but who are just, you know, becoming aware of it. So like, you know, the kid says, who is Caitlyn Jenner? Mm -hmm. That type of thing. So, uh, yeah, I've been doing that for about three years and it's exciting. Um, and uh, glad to be here today. Mm, good. It, just to, to back up a little bit, the history of Harvest USA, was it, was it, be, it was begun in the late 70s, correct? No, it's yeah. 1983. Oh, 83. Okay, but out of yeah. and it, was it out of Tenth Press? Uh, out of Tenth Presbyterian mm -hmm. Church in Philly. Yeah. What and what was the situation there that prompted, served as a catalyst to get the ministry started? Well, the, in the in the early 80s, the AIDS crisis was uh, the crisis du jour. It's what transgenderism is today, and uh, the Christians were reacting in all different types of ways. Some of it was very uh, unhelpful saying things like, you know, this is God's judgment on homosexuals. Well, 10th Prez was in, uh, is, is, is in Center City, Philadelphia. There were 30 gay-oriented businesses surrounding uh, 10th Prez, and even on Saturday nights, Johns would stand on the church sidewalks and stairs looking for business, and it was, you know, mixed in with the heroin and the other street drug uh, world there, and the church had a big decision to make. What were they going to do? And so they were challenged to think about the gay population around them as an unreached people group. Mm -hmm. So to see them as an evangelistic opportunity. And so they started putting ads in local papers and 800 numbers for people wanting to get out of this lifestyle. And they started Bible studies. And out of that uh, was birthed Harvest USA. So we started as, a, as an evangelistic outreach to the homosexual community. Quickly it transformed into a ministry of redemption to people who had some connection 
to the church and to Christ, but who were just couldn't reconcile their same-sex attractions or their gay identity with their identity in Christ. And so um, that's how we started. In the 90s, we morphed again because of the Internet uh, to not just work with folks that struggle with same-sex attractions, but all kinds of sexual sin, particularly because in the 90s, the next wave was Internet pornography. And so we had a host of folks with heterosexual porn issues uh, calling in. And that's, so that's how we got to be who we are today. Hmm. So it's a, when you visit the websites, you'll see it's a, it's a wide array of issues that they're dealing with at Harvest USA. So helpful. Well, let's shift the conversation to the, the issue of gender and what's happening with you know, the whole transgender um, movement and w- what's morphing there. The kinds of things that leave Jason and I scratching our heads so many times just when we think we're catching up we find ourselves behind. And Ellen, you wrote an article uh, in a, for a recent edition of the Christian Research Journal, and the title of the article was The Unending Bending of Gender, Helpful or Harmful? And y- you begin the article with a story about uh, Rick and Cammie. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about that, because this, and this is probably part of what started to morph at Harvest USA as you began to have these conversations more and more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, um, Rick and Cammie, and those aren't their um, their names, obviously I wanted to protect their identity, but this was in my first couple years of ministry about nine years ago, and uh, they, Rick had set up this call, or set up this appointment, because his um, freshly um, ex-girlfriend was really having some struggles in trying to discern what their relationship was. And that was because after about a year of, of friendship, they had started dating. And Rick at that time had revealed to Cammy that he had actually been born a woman, had transitioned through surgical procedures and hormones about 15 years prior and a professing believer. And Rick... Um, well, Rick wanted help, again, as I said, for this girl, this ex-girlfriend, because when she found this out, she didn't know. It was very discombobulating. Um, she'd really come to care for Rick. What did this mean for her? What did it mean for their relationship? And I want to just mention that Rick um, was very, um, very humble as he sought my thoughts on this, but he made it very clear that he was not coming in for himself, that he was at peace with the decisions that he had made. He had fully transitioned to a male identity. And so the two of them um, came in for a joint appointment. And I needed to be clear with Rick, just emphasizing again what our organization's biblical conviction was on this topic. And he still was willing to come in for the sake of his friend, Cammie. Hmm. So when you start to address this, and you, you do this in the article, I think, brilliantly, where, where, what's, what's the starting point? I mean, where do we go on these issues? I, I find that in my conversations with folks, many times we default to whatever the spirit of the times is. Many times we default to the emotions that we have because we know someone or we're related to someone who is dealing with this. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a big part of our own personal story uh, because we know someone. Mm-hmm. You know, where do we, where do we launch from? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I'm going to speak to that first, obviously, for a, for a Christian. Like, yeah. how do we start on this? And I would, I would start off with a few thoughts. The first is we need to know what do we mean by the terms that we're using 
and or we need to understand what what is meant by things like gender dysphoria, gender identity, gender bending. And sometimes I think just the vocabulary, which itself Mm -hmm. is morphing, adds so much to the confusion. So I think that's a part of it is understand what do these terms mean and then understand how are you going to use them. But then I think that the quick follow up to that, um, and these would really be, you know, parallel, would be we need to have a very robust biblical worldview on identity, relationships, gender, personhood, um, which really comes under, I think, the the um, the lordship and creator reality of Jesus Christ. Coming from those realities that he is both Lord and creator, that has everything to do, I think, with how we talk about not just sexuality, but but definitely gender. Hmm. C- can you define those, some of those terms you just mentioned? Sure. Well, um, gender dysphoria would be the more kind of professional, psychological, psychiatric term, which would refer to somebody that is um, ill at ease with their biological sex. So somebody, and that could spill out in so many different ways or express itself in so many different ways. But gender dysphoria would basically refer to that, that somebody that is not comfortable in their biological sex. The idea of gender identity, I think, really uh, is is woven with, um, well, scratch that. The idea of gender identity is just how do individuals experience themselves in light of their femaleness, maleness, or otherness, or combination of those. And and this is a part of why things are getting so crazy, because when you get away from the lordship and the created design of God, these can morph into so many different spheres. Um, The final thing I would add, and obviously this is part of why I named the article as I did, the unending bending of gender, Gender bending is really what we are seeing now, um, that the idea of gender is being bent, changed, morphed is the word that you've used, Walt, um, to really become whatever anybody wants it to be. And so, you know, it's talked about a lot that Facebook, I mean, I don't know what the latest count is, but they have at least 70 types of gender. And you can Google gender types and you'll go to lots of different websites that'll come up with so many different versions of that of that that is gender bending bending what is i think god's created design male and female into whatever you want it to be hmm. ellen i i go back to the story with rick and cammy uh mm-hmm. i i know one of the questions that we often get asked is um do i use the gender uh, name he or she based upon what was or what is. Um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, so with Rick, you had mentioned he. Uh, he, he was born as a she. Um, and so this can be a very complicated uh, path for a Christian. And so I'm just curious, um, what would you say? Because you in that, that story you're using he. Mm-hmm. And so I mm-hmm. think there are some that might be listening that really don't know which uh, they mm-hmm. should use uh, because they they they're really working hard they, they to understand mm-hmm. and then also to honor scripture and so so could you give some uh, feedback or some thoughts around that mm-hmm. 
Yeah, well, I'll answer it with the very biblically crisp phrase, it depends. Um, <laughs> that is very and, biblically and, crisp. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And, um, and I'd love to hear even what my, what my colleague Dan would add in on this, but I'll, I'll just say it. I'll say this, it, it really does depend. So with, here's what we want to keep in mind. I want to love this person in front of me and I want to keep the relationship open. I want to keep the pathways for communication as open as I can for the sake of sharing the gospel evangelistically or sharing the gospel for discipleship. So with, with Rick coming in as a professing Christian, he, he's made it, I'll give you two kind of case studies of situations I was in where I had to think this through. So with Rick, professing Christian, he made it clear he was not coming in for his own help. He was coming in for this woman. And so I had the conversation with him. I said to Rick, well, okay, I want to be sure that you know what my perspective is on this. He he was all on board with that. We were dis, we disagreed. So for the sake of talking with the two of them, primarily for Cammy, for me to call Rick Rick and to say he, to me that wasn't really a big deal. That wasn't mm-hmm. stopping or hindering my ministry to either one of them. But if I would have refused to refer to Rick as Rick and even demanded on calling him she. It probably would have just shut down that opportunity. And in the course of my conversation with them, I was able to testify to Christ and to testify to the Lord's loving design and really to speak some some hard truths to them. A a second situation that I had was with um, a couple who came in to see me with their um, 21-year-old trans son. So this was a daughter who had originally come out as gay a year and a half before, and then a year later said, well, actually, I'm not gay, I'm trans, and was fully in the process of, well, was, I should say, had started the process of transitioning, had changed birth certificate, changed identity at the college um, he, he was at. So as I'm sitting there with these parents who are confused, grieving, not knowing how to even talk with their daughter, and they referred to this individual by she, using her birth name, even though she was referring to himself, this starts starts getting just so discombobulated in our minds. So in, in that situation, again, I was seeking to respect the parents, and I talked to them about their daughter. But with the individual, but with the individual, I I respected her his desire to speak uh, to identify as a male. Uh, Last thing I'll say: if I had an individual coming in to see me, a professing Christian who was waffling or maybe was even moving towards transitioning and taking on an identity as much as I could, I would seek to relate to them and communicate to them based on their birth identity Mm -hmm. and birth gender. But if that would become a deal breaker or a communication closer, then I'd be willing to back off, but I would I would back off having clearly made my biblical convictions known because I think those convictions are the path of life. Hmm. It's the path of life to come under the lordship and create a design of 
of Jesus. So it's a long answer, but it, it does depend, and we've got to nuance it with wisdom for the sake of the gospel. No, that's that's. I, I don't think that many of these are, are going to be easy answers or short. I, I think uh, what I really appreciate and what I hear you saying in the midst of that is there's something uh, that— well, we can often forget around this issue, and that's just being led by the Holy Spirit. And it sounds like mm-hmm. in the midst of the conversations, mm-hmm. the it depends really depends on where uh, the Holy Spirit might be leading in the midst of that conversation, uh, mm-hmm. while also being aware of, of Scripture. Dan, did you have something that I know Ellen had mentioned at the very beginning? Um, maybe, Dan, if you have anything to add to that? Well, just really uh, saying amen to what you said, it does depend. It's a wisdom issue. And... Um, I was going to bring in uh, 1 Corinthians 9, uh, 19 through 23. Paul says, I'm going to be all things to all men. And uh, so in, in, in particular situations, you can't say everything all the time. You can't say everything that you could say in a given situation with a given individual where they are. But Paul says, I am weak to the ones who are weak, that I might win the weak. Mm-hmm. So and this is really, especially when we're talking about a struggling believer who is really confused and thinks they're this other gender that they weren't born in, uh, as, as Ellen said, it's the wisest thing at the beginning of that discipleship relationship to refer to them by the name they're most comfortable with. But um, as they start to grow in repentance, we give them a, a target for re- repenting toward, to trusting Christ and trusting their creator who made them, and then kind of reappropriating their 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 first name, their first gender, and then the pronouns will follow. Hmm. But you always, and, and what's really interesting here, because I hear this this back and forth all the time about balancing grace and truth. It's interesting that what you both have just stated, I think, is a is a is a good balance of grace and truth. Because Ellen, what you said is that you, with these folks, you always let them know right out of the gate. Here is what I believe biblically about identity, about the Lordship of Christ, about the Creator God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is that... Well, it, yeah. Well, I think with, um, you know, again, with Rick and Cammie, when he was setting up the appointment, I, I wanted to make sure that he knew where where we were going to be coming at on those issues. And so as I was sitting with them in my office, um, the, the million-dollar question came from Cammie, which was, so if... Rick sees himself as a man and I'm attracted to him as a man. Is it okay for us to date? And so that's, that was my invitation and really being compelled that I needed to go deeper with, with God's truth. And it was to give the answer to say, no, it it is, it would not be, you are not free to date because in God's sight, Rick was born a woman Rick Rick is female. And so I'm saying this to Cammie with Rick sitting right next to her, um, which, again, was why I wanted to be sure that Rick knew where I was coming from. But that, that was a hard thing to say, but it, it was hopefully the truth going out, um, as Jason mentioned, with by the power of the Holy Spirit to to say what is true, that they would not be free to turn towards one another in a romantic way. Hmm. This is really good. We, we need to take a break, but when we come back, I want to restart our conversation and talk about identity and identity in Christ. I know you address this at Harvest. I've seen you address it here in this article. 
and uh, let's pick up and, and go to what the scriptures say about this. I, I love this statement. Scripture does not give us the authority to sculpt ourselves into an image of our own making. Rather, it teaches that we are created, identified, and loved by our Creator for His purposes and His glory. And we'll come back and start our conversation by talking about that and identity. Uh, Stick with us. We'll be right back. Here at the Center for Parent Youth Understanding, we want to help you stay up to date on today's youth culture. One of the tools we've developed to keep you current is our weekly youth culture e-update. Delivered to you by email, our youth culture e-update comes to you in a format that allows you to easily scroll through and quickly choose those stories and resources that will be most helpful to you in your particular setting. To sign up for this free resource, go to our website at cpyu.org, scroll down to the bottom of the page, and enter your email address in the tab marked e-update sign up. It's that simple. Welcome back, everybody, to this episode of Youth Culture Matters. We're having a conversation with Ellen Dykus and Dan Wilson from Harvest USA, a ministry that is really working to equip uh, parents and youth workers, churches, respond to so much of the confusion that exists in our world regarding issues of sexuality and gender and responding from a biblical perspective. They're also working very hard um, with these difficult issues in counseling people, and so they've been a great resource. We've come to trust and appreciate them so much with what they do, and we're talking specifically about the issue of transgenderism. Ellen has written an article on this that appeared in Christian Research Journal called The Unending Bending of Gender, Helpful or Harmful. Dan's blogged on this as well, some helpful resources and advice for parents and for youth workers as they work to navigate this uh, difficult issue that's unfolding so quickly in our culture. But I want to pick up our conversation and go back to, um, you know, where we put the stake in the ground. What is it that we look back to that gives us the framework, the terminology to be able to help people navigate this, to navigate this ourselves in our response? Um, and you, you asked the question, Ellen, in the article, you know, gender identity, what does the Bible say? And my question is this, why do we begin with Scripture, and where in the Scriptures should we begin? Mm. Well, I mean, we we begin with Scripture, I mean, as those that um, follow the Lord Jesus Christ, that Scripture speaks of Him, Scripture describes Him and as, as Lord and Creator. And I actually... One of my favorite um, passages that speaks about that isn't actually where people go a lot of times, which would be go to Genesis 1, is I love going to Colossians 1, where it says, speaking of Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And I think that is an explosive statement when it comes to any topic, but especially sexuality and gender, that all things have been created by the Lord for the Lord to reveal his glory, to reveal the gospel out to all of creation. 
So we start there because that's where our creator starts, is that he he is Lord of all. He is the creator. He's also the savior, redeemer, who has entered into this broken world to bring redemption to the impact of, of sin. So what in the world does that have to do with, with gender and identity? It has everything to do with it because when we get off track of his design and when we come or when we attempt to come out from under his lordship, where do we go? We've got to make our own way. We've got to come up with our own sense of identity. We've got to make sense of life on our own terms. And so it's either kind of walking in his path or we make up our own path. So um, that's a, a maybe a little bit diff- different way of answering that question, but that's that's where I think we've got to start and where we move out from. And so this offers a corrective then when we when when that's where we go, that's what we look back to in terms of our, you know, stake in the ground, our place where we find a foundation helps us with issues of identity in if terms we don't, of let me jump yeah. in here, Walt. So we don't just go back to scripture because it's our tradition. Mm. Just because, well, that's just what we do. Different people from different traditions go to different places. We go to Scripture because it's reality, Hmm. because it's true, because without God, none of this was existing. Because uh, without the Creator, uh, we would know nothing. We, We are dependent on Him to reveal to us what is our starting points who we really are and how do we relate to what else is out there and what else is out there is not uh we just don't get to pick a multiverse or pick a different universe and i think that's where the problem is with the with with the rest of the culture is they don't they don't get this they don't see jesus christ as the one who created the world and then came into the world as a man he came in in one of the two genders that he created, and then he, you know, expressly uh, uh, praised and commended male and female. He said that that's the basis for marriage. So he affirms not only sexuality—that's that's that's something that pleases him, marriage—but the the two constituent genders that come together and form one flesh. So it, it all boils down to: is is Jesus Christ the risen Lord who? created the world before he even took on human flesh in his incarnation. If that is true, then everyone else is tuned into the sci-fi channel. Really, they, they, they don't have reality. And so no wonder, no wonder the expression of anything is going to start look, looking more and more less than sane. So what's, you know, Maybe maybe uh, self-referential sexuality in the 1950s with the onset of Playboy didn't look so wild and crazy. Okay, so the culture was embracing more and more of uh, extramarital sex and premarital sex. Uh, but now, you know, with, with what we're seeing with, with transgender and people saying, well, what I feel makes me who I am, that, that, that doesn't seem very sane. So we, we go back to not only our tradition, but to the reality of God working in our world, making our world, and then giving us the blueprint uh, to know who we are in this world. Okay, and that answers that question of identity, uh, which is the one we're asking. Jason, you wanted to circle back and ask well, about— I think, 
I, I, I would love to just just go a little bit further with just regards to scripture because I think that we the idea of identity I, I really love the way that both of you lay that out I, I am just curious um, where in scripture it might actually and where you would go to where it talks to the idea of God creating gender um, because there is identity and then there's the, the dynamic and the conversation around gender and so um, and I know Ellen in your article you actually speak about this. I know, Dan, in a lot of the work that you do, you uh, speak of, the, of this as well. So I would just love, just real quickly, um, for anyone that might be looking for, for touch points as they're, as they're going to Scripture, and, and Dan, I like the way that you even uh, speak about it as reality. Um, how do we go towards that, look at Scripture where it, will, it would direct us towards uh, God creating uh, gender? Well, I think Ellen... Uh when she said she loves Colossians because it brings in the living Jesus Christ uh, as a good starting point. But she said, you know, the, the normal place is at the beginning in Genesis. Mm -hmm. So uh, I, I like both. We love both of them. Uh, kind of like Colossians gives us some of the rest of the story of who was there and how, how uh, Jesus was there. But really, we get down to Genesis chapter 1, God makes uh, in his image. It's chapter Genesis 1, 27. Uh, he created man in his image, in his image he created uh, him, male and female, he made them in his image. So God is the source of gender. And this is Genesis 1, and then of course Genesis 2 is before the fall. So before mm. there's any brokenness, before there's any sin, before there's any uh, uh, twisting of God's uh, good and right and perfect world, we have two genders. And you know, there's there's people who want to just blow past that, but we can't because the beginning sets um, uh, is is a revelation of of God's uh, best and true will for humanity hmm. by the very I, fact that it is the beginning. Yeah, yeah, that's good. I, I and, was going to say, I, oh, go ahead, Jason. Well, no, go for it. Yeah, I, I was going to say, you know, some of the conversations I've had. And a lot of this is, you know, back and forth, typing out words uh, on social media with Messenger when people take issue with where we would fall here at CPYU on, on uh, these matters. You know, people would say, well, you know, I take the approach of Jesus, and that is to just <laughs> love and accept people, you know, who are, you know wherever they are. And I think to, to go back and to say, as you've said, that Jesus was present at creation— Jesus was part of creation, the author of creation, you know, as part of the Godhead, is is crucial in this. Because, you know, Jason and I have talked about this, that many of the folks who would, in within the church, argue what you're stating here and what I would come to understand as an orthodox biblical position, mm -hmm. they don't go back to Genesis. They bypass Genesis and then look to do all sorts of hermeneutical, exegetical gymnastics with other passages and somehow look for, I know this sounds like a judgment, and it is, you know, loopholes um, where they can find justifications for the different kinds of lifestyles or behaviors or, you know, morphing of gender that we see in today's culture. So I just want to say that I really appreciate the fact that you drew that, you drew that connection. Mm -hmm. You know, something else I want to just add in on this is, because people, you know, again, yeah, there's so many different thoughts on this, but people might say, well, male, female, you know, that sounds so 
sterile. So like, what really is that? But here's the beauty of scripture. And, you know, really for all of us, a lifelong journey of absorbing the message of scripture from beginning to end. But God relates to his people as father. He calls his children sons and daughters. I mean, even in that, there's clear gender distinctions, husbands and wives, mothers and fathers being and sons and daughters of our heavenly father. And so the idea of gender does come out at, at um, obviously at creation, but it's something, it's a beautiful aspect of the storyline through all of scripture of a loving father calling a people to himself and not just gender neutral people, but sons and daughters who he's called to be brothers and sisters to one another. And if you obliterate gender, then even the idea of the family of God starts becoming, I think, very um, fuzzy or or, or d- confusing. Hmm. And, and for folks that that have really, uh, like you mentioned, the the spirit of the times or the spirit of the age, just the the secular worldview that see gender binaries as restrictive. Mm. Mm. Well, we are viewing that from a post-fall perspective. So in Genesis 1 and 2, we see that God gives gender as a gift to humanity, male and female. And so what is our tendency as human beings? I mean, this is not just a minor tendency. This is a strong and absolute tendency like gravity. What do we do with God's gifts and what do we do with the giver? Mm. Since Adam and Eve, we have distrusted the giver and distorted those gifts. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's it's funny how our culture wants to claim this objectivity as we're free-falling in this, uh, you know, making our own identity as we go. It's like building an airplane while it's flying. <laughs> um, because this is the, you know, we were talking about if we don't have revelation. If we don't have revelation from God, if he hasn't turned on the light of his truth, then we're then, you know, some people say, yeehaw, great. That's why I'm an atheist, because then I get to determine what is real in my life. But that self-referential uh, way of life is is the recipe for insanity. Because then what if I'd say, well, I feel like an orangutan today or every Cinco de Mayo, I'm Mexican. Now you now the the listening audience can't tell this, but you can see that I'm very Anglo. But my family, with our salsa intake, and, <laughs> and how religious we are about Cinco de Mayo, what if we just declared ourselves to be Mexican? Do we know Spanish? Mm, three or four words. But we we you know living our life on our feelings, and that's where we default to. Either we have revelation, or we end up saying it feels so real to me. Now. Okay, I could sound like I'm going on a ramp, but when it comes to the, the, the kind of uh, pastoral application, we're talking about people who are deceived. Do we have compassion for people who are who it does feel so real, whether you know whether it is this issue of transgender or same-sex attraction or just autonomy or I know what will make me happy, money or fame or popularity. We 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 it feels so real to us, and yet if we're honest. We look back at our own personal histories. We've seen what we thought was real to be, you know, like dust in the wind and, you know, just a, mm-hmm. a sandcastle on the seashore 
when reality hits. Hmm. Let's, Jason, go ahead and circle back. Yeah, the, yeah, and I, I, I think that I want to, because we're, we're, we're talking scripture. I, I think what I would love to be able to find out is then what do we do with the individual that is struggling with this, and specifically even using the story uh, as a catalyst for some of this conversation. Uh, that we brought up at the very beginning that was in your article with Rick and Cammie. I, I know that I have this question. Um, well, I've had it uh, from parents, but I've also had it from a number of youth workers. Uh, and so using Rick's story, what do you do with someone who is in your youth ministry? Uh, let's use that for as an example. That's like Rick. Um, that maybe, or maybe not even youth ministry. Maybe they're more a young adult college or young adult ministries. Um, but uh, an individual that has fully transitioned and, and maybe even mm. explain, because you mentioned transition with Social Security and some of those things. Sometimes I think when we think about transitioning, we only think of the biological. There is a process. So maybe one, talk about that. But then what do we do? What what are Rick's options uh, as an individual that comes to you years after the transition um, for uh, love interest for ro- romantic involvement. What I mean, how does that look? How do you counsel someone that comes to you in the midst of that? Mm-hmm. Dan, you want me to start off on that? Yeah, ladies okay. first. I, I think I'll be the gentleman <laughs> this, this time. How convenient. Why, thank you. Yeah. You're welcome. Okay. Well, you know, first I want to start off by saying that, and this is something I say in the article, is that um, there are going to be a lot of what I would say refugees of the gender revolution, people that feel displaced, this hasn't given them what they thought it would be, and that they are in, they are in a, a lot of distress. Um, we need to, to think about this starting also with that compassionate point of view that for many people, and so you wanted to circle back to this guy named Rick, obedience to Jesus to take up their cross, die to self and follow after Christ is going to be very costly for someone like Rick. I think beautiful and amazing and just the radiance of the power of Christ, but it's going to be costly. And we need to remember that just as we would be discipling, say, a a gay couple that wants to come under, again, the Lord's design, their obedience is going to be very costly. And I think that's important for all of us uh, that call ourselves Christians, that we take the identity um, of being God's loved children to remember as we go about ministry. So what would that mean for someone like Rick? I mean, I'll, I'll get us started. And again, I'd, I'd love to hear my colleague Dan's thoughts as he's talking with a lot of parents is, what we need to say to Rick is what we're going to say to anybody who is who has, in a sense, come to their senses, thinking about the prodigal son in Luke 15, and they're wanting to return back to the Father. They're wanting to return back to living under the Lord's Lordship. We are going to encourage them, urge them, comfort them that God is calling them to once again come under the Lordship of Christ, and to live out who He has created them to be. So for somebody like Rick, uh, and I think Rick's a good example because this individual had fully transitioned physically, um, legally, to a male identity. Obedience for Rick is going to be coming back and living in the way that God created him, which was a, a beautiful, loved, female image bearer. Living out 
that female identity. So does that mean that we tell Rick to have surgeries to reverse everything? Probably not. And because that would be probably more dangerous than the original surgeries could be. I mean, and I, I've got to be honest, like I'm not up to date at all on all the recent surgical innovations in this area. Do we, so I don't necessarily urge them to change their, their physiology, but their heart set, their mindset, Colossians three, not set on things of the earth, but set on Christ and things above, but also the way they live out their life is going to be in light of being a female image bearer. And I'll say one last thing on this. And then Dan, I I would love to hear your thoughts. Um, Is that going to be easy? No way. This is going to be very difficult. It will be a costly obedience, but there are beautiful stories of people that have made that process um, of, of returning back in a sense to how God had created them. And here's what I would say is the distinction I've heard between when people have done that, the inner peace that they have had, not without angst, not without struggle, but the peace they've had has surpassed what they had had, what they had had before, because they're living under God's design. And and they're receiving the peace that comes from the Holy Spirit, not Mm -hmm. a sense of Mm self-writingness. Self-sculpting. So let me just piggyback off of what you said, Ellen. Uh, So if you have a Rick who has come to a point of this radical repentance and it's just, they're on the precipice of this, this change, look what they're leaving. They're not only leaving Mm. this identity they've built, they're leaving a whole community that praises and supports them. And what they need is the body of Christ Mm. to come in and bear those oppressive burdens. Um, Galatians 6, 2 says, bear one another's oppressive burdens. And the the word there in the original means something that's like a, a, a grand piano or a stone the size of your living room couch. It's not like the backpack. (laughs) <laughs> it's not an easy thing. It's an oppressive burden. So if you have a repentant Rick who says, no, I, I really need to be, let's say her, his, her original name was Susan. We, she goes, but changes her name and changes her deportment. What if she needs uh, financial help? Mm-hmm. That's where the church needs to really, you know, put their money where their mouth is mm-hmm. um, to be a real family, not just, well, we're, we're glad you repented, but you're so weird. We don't want to have a thing to do with you. No, but bring them in with true hospitality, not just be friendly, but be their person's friends, be their brothers and sisters. Have a, uh, if they're having a reversal of, of to their original gender, have a, 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 an adoption into your family. That, that's what's going to be uh, something that results to the praise of God's glory and grace and that gets mm-hmm. the, the eye of the world. They, they won't understand it, but they'll say, well, they're loving this person. Mm. Um, and maybe, you know, maybe... You know, if 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 uh, this person really does desire a surgical re reassignment, that's something that you know people. Hey, aren't there a lot of silly GoFundMe's around? <laughs> <laughs> and 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 don't we have things like bass boats that just don't really matter so much? Like in the kingdom of God, I may have stepped mm-hmm. on somebody's toes there because uh, I don't actually want a bass boat. But um, really. That's where we really need to be working to be the, the body of Christ mm-hmm. and realize, you know, this is just for a limited time. We're talking, you know, 60, 70, 80 years of mm. this, this life that we lead. Mm. Then we're mm-hmm. waiting for it to be, to be 
to be remade for this new life in the mm. kingdom. Mm. Amen. Uh, it, I love this pulling in creation, fall, redemption, restoration. We love that flow of the biblical story, and that's where we live, and you're talking about how that informs our sexuality. Well, we need to take another break here, and when we come back, we do have a question. Uh, how, and again, Ellen, you said this is one that we can have Dan answer. A youth worker asked us this, how do we help parents navigate the journey with their transgender children? And I know you're doing a lot of that at Harvest USA. So when we come back from the break, we'll pick up with that. Stick with us. Here at CPYU, we want to help you help parents stay up to date on today's youth culture. One of our most popular resources is our monthly parent page. This four-page full-color resource offers parents a timely, practical look into current youth culture trends, along with resources to help them parent their children and teens Christianly in today's rapidly changing youth culture. If you're a youth worker who would like to get this monthly resource into the hands of your parents, you can see a sample parent page and learn more by visiting cpyuparentpage.com. Welcome back. Uh, we're here with Ellen Dykus and Dan Wilson with Harvest USA, and we're having a conversation around transgenderism. And I uh, know we're going to spend the last portion of this segment talking a little bit about families. That's what we highlighted as we closed out the last segment. But I, I do want to ask a question regarding uh, reparative therapy. And I, and I, Dan, I'll, I'll just address this to you. Could you just uh, ex uh, share the difference in what you are doing versus what reparative therapy is? Um, I know that sometimes there are individuals that can that can confuse uh, the two, and so I I would just really love to to what was what is reparative therapy? What is it that you're doing? And just sure. really quickly, kind of walking into that and explaining. Yeah, reparative therapy is a, a minority move within the psychological community to help people who uh, have same-sex attraction and have maybe embraced a gay identity to switch and become heterosexual in their sense of identity and to have heterosexual uh, sexual desires. And uh, the reason why Harvest USA does not do that is because that focuses all on behavior and externals. So um, to turn someone heterosexual does not get them into the kingdom of heaven, doesn't get them in union with Christ. It doesn't create get, move them from being totally out of God's uh, life and then into total communion, but the gospel does. So uh, we like to say that, you know, heterosexuality didn't die for you. Christ did. We like to say uh, that um, the opposite Good. of homosexuality is not heterosexuality, but holiness, you know, faith, repentance, and love. That's really the measure of of fruitfulness and quote success in a Christian's life is faith, repentance, and love. Now, you know, some, some people who, and, and reparative therapy deals mainly with same-sex attraction. I've never, never really heard of it applied to transgender issues, but I'm sure you might take my last comments about Rick transitioning back to being her original Susan, because making that up, that's really not what I know of her situation, but, uh, as being a reparative therapy. But, uh, the point is that, you know, some people, have experienced some re repenters experience a great change in their uh, mm. attractions and some don't but the point is if they are loving the lord and living a life of dependence on him and obedience toward him that's what is a sweet smelling sacrifice to christ 
Wow. Let me throw another one at you here uh, before we start talking about parents and this, because this comes up whenever we talk about these issues. The question is always raised now because we're hearing more about it, about intersex, the intersex condition. Can you comment on that? Yeah, real briefly, intersex is uh, used to be called hermaphroditism. I don't know why I mentioned that, but uh, it's the experience of uh, someone being born with um, genitalia uh, mutations. And so uh, the secular world would say, well, see, this just proves that gender is not binary, not just male and female, but is a spectrum. But I think it just proves the opposite, that uh, uh, that God in the, in the economy of the fall and the curse on the world allows for things to be broken. And, and everything that can be broken does indeed find expression in brokenness. So, uh, you know, defects happen on, in, in all areas of, of, our, of our biological experience. It happens to some babies who are born with certain conditions. But it doesn't prove that gender is a, um, uh, a spectrum, but rather just shows that the exception of the rule is that we are given male or female uh, bodies. Mm. And intersexuality, uh, the, the LBGTQI movement would want to say intersexuality is just part of their uh, movement of of individual rights and expression, sexual expression. And uh, I, I hope that people who experience intersexuality don't uh, get co-opted into this self, self-referential way of life. Good. That's good. Well, let's shift gears here. I mean, we could talk about that for a whole podcast, I'm sure. Yeah. But let's shift gears because we want to get in, intensely practical. You've been very practical already helping us think through these things theologically with faithfulness to the scriptures. But what about now helping families navigate the gender storm? They have a child who says, you know, as you mentioned with the case study earlier, hey, you know, I don't, my feelings don't match up to my biological birth gender. What do we do? You know, how do we minister to them? And this would be for parents. This would be for youth workers, pastors. What do we do? Yeah. I mean, it's all the rage now in the in the, the media to have stories of of uh, grade school children declaring their 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 transition from their birth gender to a new gender, uh, the opposite gender. And um, and and I, th- and I even hear through, you know, uh, Facebook, the Facebook world of uh, young, young Parents, you know, I mean, parents in their 30s and younger saying, well, if I ever had a child who felt like they were gay or felt like they were transgender, I would support them all the way. And it, it just seems like it's such the, the righteousness of the day that it's, it's, the, it's the, easy, the easy moral uh, high ground that our culture sees. Um, but uh, I think we really need to share with, with parents that um, the experience of gender dysphoria uh, 80% of kids that experience this this agony and anguish of just in this even the the rage of being feeling like they're trapped in the wrong uh, gender uh, by the time they go through puberty it resolves and by the time they're ending out of pu- coming out of, out of puberty they're uh, comfortable back in their birth gender so what that tells us is that if we uh, go along with the current wave of the culture. Say, oh, you need to, you know, to change everything, have surgeries. We're um, 
we're jumping the gun and going to cause a, a you know mutilation and abuse to this child's whole life. We don't let. I have a nine-year-old, and um, that's my youngest, but he doesn't do a lot of great life decisions at nine. You know, we get his input on, do you want to do flag football or Cub Scouts? After that, and that's all, and they're always taken into consideration because sometimes maybe he needs to do something he doesn't want to do. Mm-hmm. So, wow, we, we've got to uh, get back to some sanity there. Can I ask you, is this, this uh, growing number of people, you know, we got a question from a youth worker who said, I have four kids in my youth group who identify as transgender. You know, I, I was a youth pastor. I... Uh, now, again, it was a different time 30 years ago, but I, I can't remember one kid in my youth group who struggled with this. Maybe they were there, and it was a different time. This wasn't brought up, but now we're seeing this this uh, growing number of kids. Do you think that this is an actual struggle for many of them? It's an opinion question. Or do you think that the 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 spirit of the times— the, all the cultural chatter about this is actually presenting this as an option that kids are going, oh, I'll consider that, all right, you know, at younger and younger yeah. ages. Uh, yeah, I mean, to, to say that the culture has no influence on us is, is ridiculous. We know the culture influences us. Uh, Tim Keller has this great article about the, uh, the, the gay Viking uh, so that's not the exact title, but if you look up Google, um, I'm sure you'll find it. And, and the point was, not sure, that, I want to uh, Google that on my computer. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe just say the, you know, the, the, the same-sex attracted Viking. Okay. So you know, in the 10th century in England, you have a Viking guy who uh, whose culture is a war culture, a warrior culture. And um, if he has same experiences same-sex attraction, and he experiences all the normal, you know, let's go kill people and, and break things of the of the warrior culture, he's going to go with this culture. He'll he'll keep quiet the same-sex attraction, marry you know, uh, Brunhilda, uh, the other Viking uh, female in the in the camp, and then go out and kill people and break things like a good Viking because that's what his culture says. But you. You transplant that to the 21st century, and someone who has violent tendencies, you know, they're gonna, you're gonna be told, you know, go to anger management class, and then if you feel same attractions, that's who you are. Mm-hmm. What's the difference there? Mm-hmm. Um, not just electricity. There's a difference in in um, the culture. The culture is Anglo-Saxon warrior culture versus the 21st century American culture. So yeah, culture has a tremendous influence on on young kids mm-hmm. and um, gives them the options that weren't there. Even mm-hmm. even ten years ago, even five years ago. I want to just jump in on that too and say that if if I was twelve today, and I know lots of women that would probably describe themselves today, if I was twelve today, I would be a great candidate to be a trans man or trans boy because as a young girl, I didn't, I wasn't gender conforming. Um, my parents didn't push push rigid stereotypes, but I, I was very much a tomboy. Um, I had five brothers and two sisters, and I definitely was different from my two sisters and struggled about that. It was well into my adulthood that I could finally put words on it of I really felt other. But I came to Christ. I began growing slowly in the course of my, um, you know, in my identity and being a Christian. 
And those things began to work themselves out. And to be honest, like I had an amazing experience with guys. I mean, from friends to my own brothers to my father that were wonderful examples. So this wasn't something where I was pushing away um, guys or women. But what Dan's bringing out is if I was growing up today in the surround sound celebration of be true to you, be true to your feelings, you have the, not only should you, but you have the right to sculpt out your identity. Like I, not only would I have been feeling that I should be a boy, but I would have people all around me from um, mentors, teachers, TV saying, Ellen, you're not a girl. You must be a boy because of A, B, C, and D. But I wasn't a boy. I was a girl with some confusion, experiencing some of my own brokenness, but also just living in this world. I was also being a female image bearer in the unique way that God had designed me. So again, I'll just kind of cap off what Dan was saying is that that's something that parents and youth leaders just can't discount, that the cultural voice and just like um, you guys, Harvest USA is not, you know, shake a finger at big, bad culture. Uh, but the reality is that it's speaking and preaching and proclaiming something. And right now, gender re-sculpting is the hot topic. And of course, that's going to be influencing people's thoughts. To wrap this up, Ellen, could you walk us through your steps that you've given us in this article for helping families navigate the gender storm? I think this is really helpful, just a very practical approach. Yeah, I'll just try to make this brief. You know, the article goes into it in more detail, but I would say you know, a couple of, of bottom line things is parents, your first goal isn't to change your son or daughter's perspective of gender. It is to disciple them in a biblical view about who they are in Christ, about their need for Christ, and that life is not about them. It is for God's glory. That then helps you to know how to disciple them through the ways they're struggling to live for God's glory, the pain they feel, the disappointment they're feeling, the angst they might be feeling. Like for me, feeling so other among my peers when I was 10, 11, 12, 13, uh, my parents did a wonderful job. Uh, one thing we didn't do a whole lot was communicate about, about these things. So parents grow in learning how to talk with your children, how to communicate with them about these topics and also about the ways they're struggling in their gender. And then just a couple of other things are, is God is calling you to disciple your children about male and female, about how God has created us in that. But be really careful to not make an emphasis on rigid stereotypes or even gender distinctions that are extra biblical. And I think we do that a lot within the Christian community of saying, here's what a godly girl or woman is. Here's what a godly man or boy is. And we really are speaking outside of the bounds of, of Scripture. So disciple them in what it means to be a boy or girl, um, somebody living for God's glory. And then absolutely, you want to redirect your children and not give way, parents, God will give you courage. Don't give way to a child saying, I must pursue some kind of medical attention. Um, these are decisions that could have a lifelong impact. And as has already been discussed, over 80% of children that express some form of gender dysphoria, it, they eventually grow out of it like I did. 
Um, so redirect them if they are desiring medical attention. And, and, and this is something I would ask all of us. We need to really be praying that, like some countries, we don't go the route of giving even young children the right to start making these decisions on your own. And, and actually, the final thing that I didn't say in the article is don't go this alone, parents. Um, invite others to come alongside you. Invite spiritual leaders in your life to pray for you and to encourage you. But don't try to navigate this um, on your own. This is what God's provided his people for, to help each other walk, walk out the tough decisions of life and faith. That's good. Good. Jason, any final questions? Well, I would just love to hear from them. Uh, any additional resources that they would want to hand off to uh, other youth workers, parents that you might recommend? So obviously we'll, we'll provide a link to Harvest USA and to the student uh, ministries uh, link as well. But I would love to hear if there are other resources specifically that the two of you might uh, recommend. And so, so maybe Dan, starting with you and then Ellen. Yeah, well, uh, on the studentoutreach.org blog, we have several articles written about transgender issues, but also uh, same-sex attraction issues as well, and a host of other things that for, for parents and for youth workers. But at uh, harvestusa.org, we have a whole uh, like section uh, of our of our of, of articles collected, not only ours but from other authors on transgender. So if you want like a a, a quick primer on all the transgender uh, topics uh, or subtopics, a good you know, summary, there are probably about 10 articles you could pick through that would be very helpful on our, on our website. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, just to add to that is um, the article that, or the journal I wrote my article for is called the Christian Research Journal. Uh, their website is equip.org and they are really seeking to just help Christians have a biblical worldview and explain a biblical worldview. So I'd point you to them. Also, the Gospel Coalition is an excellent online-based ministry. They do conferences, but their website, thegospelcoalition.org, has so many articles about, including these topics, that I would um, that would be a great resource for you to just read through how different pastors, theologians, lay leaders are thinking through these issues, and also how they're seeking to help people. Um, at street level with these issues. This, this is great. I love it. And I think, you know, one of the takeaways here, as we've really just scratched the surface of this topic, is that I appreciate uh, the balance between truth and grace. I, I know Jason and I get around, we talk about these issues, we listen to others talk about them, and it, sometimes it's just so truth-heavy that, that it seems mm -hmm. law, without any love mm. sometimes it's so love mm. love heavy or grace heavy that it's a cheap grace and there's no truth that 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 redeems or liberates people so i appreciate the approach you've taken here well this is good i um we're gonna we're gonna close it out here we'll let people know that uh harvest usa is a ministry they can go to we'll include links to that to the student outreach of harvest usa to all of the resources you've mentioned and more and we'll just recommend to folks that if you have questions on this or yeah, I'll say this, you know, what I've done is uh, when I've had phone calls from people, I'm not where you folks are outside of Philadelphia. We're not far, but we're not right there. Oftentimes when people will call and I need a resource, hey, help me find a counselor, uh, I'll contact the folks at Harvest USA. They're very helpful with us at, at Connecting the Dots. So for po folks who are out of town, we can, we can do that as well. 
but but thanks so much, Ellen. We appreciate you and what you're doing, Dan. What you're doing as well, and we pray that God's blessing would be on you as you continue to to navigate these difficult waters, and you help guys like Jason and I get up and dust ourselves off, and learn as much <laughs> as we can. So thanks so much. Thank you, folks. Thanks for, a lot. Thank you. Thanks, thanks for joining us on this, and we look forward to being with you again on the next episode of Youth Culture Matters. Thanks for joining us for Youth Culture Matters, a podcast from the Center for Parent Youth Understanding. If you'd like to learn more about today's youth culture, visit our website at cpyu.org. And if you have any questions, comments, or feedback, email us at podcast at cpyu.org.